Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds, and it is, I would say, Christmas 2.0 for us. I am your host, Matt, here, and joining me, as always, is my buddy, Richie. Richie, big week for us. We're very excited. The draft is almost complete. We're through the important rounds, for you and I, at least in fantasy, for the you know current standing, and uh, we also have the Futures game, and the Home Run Derby is currently going on. Um, Julio Rodriguez just hit 41 home runs in a round. Pretty incredible. Yeah, that's that's crazy. But the one thing I don't like is that he wasted them all in the early rounds. So I'm curious if he has enough endurance to make it to the later rounds. I think this happened last year. I can't. I'm blanking on who it was. Was it Julio last year that did it too? I think Julio did and, last year. Yeah. And they just ran out of juice. They just used all their swings way too early. So I think Guerrero. I just pulled it up. Um, I think Guerrero beat him because Guerrero is smiling and Rodriguez is not too happy i don't have access to it so i can't watch it but i'm curious to watch the highlights as soon as it's over that's for sure it was interesting pete alonzo i watched i watched right after rodriguez went because you know the text came in saying oh my gosh julio and it's like okay let's see what he did and pete gets up there and and, you know they're talking about how he's on his third uh pitcher because of injuries and this and that and the guy's throwing him pitches on the outside and it's like oh yeah he's done um didn't get into rhythm didn't even really have a chance it wasn't even really a showing so that was disappointing, but um, Guerrero looks like he's stepping up to the plate right now. So we will keep you informed, but uh, Richie... So who's all left then? It's Guerrero and... So, wow. So Guerrero is having his manager, not his batting coach, his manager throw to him. That's pretty cool. Um, all I have right now for you is that Guerrero is at the plate. Okay. I have no more. We'll find out later. But let's break into the uh, the big time news. So we had the Futures game. We're going to start there. Uh, kind of an underwhelming futures game, at least in terms of box score and visibility. This was streamed on Peacock, which, you know, we all love how Major League Baseball has decided to break up their media structure this year. Uh, so I didn't get a chance to watch it. You got a chance to watch a little bit of it, though, and you have some great notes for it. So go ahead and dive into some of those. What did you see and what did you think? Yeah, I was able to watch about the first four or five innings. So I missed the last six and seventh innings. But from what I saw, it was pretty much a pitching duel across both sides of really but the national league was loaded with mick abel tink hens jacob mizoroski carson wisenhunt i don't have his stuff in the notes but besides that um for the al side it was really only owen white that, that stuck out to me so in the first inning owen white he looked a little bit out of sync didn't have control but he did have a nasty curveball that hit the dirt and got Jordan Lawler swinging. It looked pretty filthy. In the second, Mickabell, his fastball looked flat. It was touching 98-99, but you also have to remind yourself that all these pitchers were pitching above their velocities. Comes naturally. You know you're only going out there for an inning. It's the Futures game. You know everybody's watching, looking for your talent. So you get that little extra juice for you. So he was around 98-99. I expect him closer to 96-97 on a regular basis, but it just looked straight as an arrow and didn't have much ride and carry. He did get a strikeout on it, but outside of that, I think there was at least one or two hits off of it. Moving to the third inning, Tink Hens. I liked what I saw from him. I like his secondaries. His fastball, though, too, also seemed a little bit flat. It did have a lot of velocity at 98 the thing I did like is he struck out your boy Junior Caminero on a nasty slider that dropped. It looked like it was going middle-middle, and it dropped below the plate. That was nice to see. In the fourth, oh, were you going to say something? Well, I was going to say, I think, you know, before you wrap up the um, the review, I think that's the coolest thing about the, the Futures game that I've seen through the years of watching it is for some of these batters like Caminero, you may n- have never seen a slider like that. Like Tink Hens's slider, as you're describing, it sounds like a plus-plus pitch, right? And like Caminero's been dominating high A and, and double A at this point. But like this is an opportunity for them to see who they're going to be facing in five years at the pro level and understand that there is a massive gap between the average players that they're playing with against on a daily basis and the guys that are going to be frontline starters at the next level. And the pitching dominated from when I was looking at the box score. These pitchers just smoked. Jan Kiel struck out in a high fastball away, too. I think it was Mizoroski, I think, was the one who struck Jan Kiel out. You'd have to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, no. It, it would have been a different pitcher. I got okay. Butler, Sorstrom, and 
just Henry Malloy for Mizorowski for his strikeouts. Okay. Um, but either, either way, Jan Kiel looked really bad. He also looked like all he was trying to do was hit the ball 500 feet up there. So there's this balance, right? It's like, okay, are the hitters just up there to hit home runs? And if that's the case, your slider is going to be that much more effective because they're not looking to hit it to right field for a base hit. Um, it, it's an interesting approach. And last thing I'll say before you wrap this up, I think this is a great reminder with Owen White that, yes, pitchers may come to the big leagues and not have immediate success, but they can still dominate the players that will be playing next to them in the next three, four years. So like, keep in mind that Owen White isn't yet a bust. He's just playing a different level of competition when he made his major league debut. Well, absolutely. Look at Brian Wu, his debut. He gave up 700 runs, and now he's gone on a tear since finding his groove. But let's move on to Carson Wisenhunt. He had two strikeouts. One of them was against Jackson Holiday. I got to watch that, and he made Jackson Holiday look silly with his changeup that also looked like it was going to go middle-middle, and it just dropped below. And uh, they talked to Jackson Holiday after on the mic, and he admitted he's like, yeah, you know, Hessen Kierce had told me, he warned me about the Wizen Hunt uh, changeup. He said it was good, and he goes, yeah, I found out for myself it was pretty good. <laughs> so I got a kick out of that. Um, I can't figure out, I don't have it, who else he struck out, but his changeup looked nasty. He also has a fastball, 94, 95, 96. So that looked, it looked like your average fastball, nothing crazy, nothing special, but it'll get the job done paired with that changeup. In the fourth, Jacob Mizorowski, who I think it was the MVP, he didn't get it. Uh, Nunez got it because he had a bases clearing double, which was pretty much the only offense that was in this game, but Mizorowski is my MVP. He went one inning, struck out three. He gave up, he did give up one hit to Colt Keith, but it was on his curveball, and it looked like Colt Keith was looking for the fastball that was coming in at 100, 102. He realized it was going to be an off-speed, and he like shortened up his swing. He got jammed up, but it was a little blooper right past the second base for a single. But Mizorowski, his fastball, man, it, it's got the ride it's got the carry it looks like it's rising on you and it comes in at 100 102 i don't expect that to be the norm i think it's going to be more 98 99 when it's not a futures game and only one inning the crazy thing is out of his three strikeouts none of them were actually on the fastball he got lawrence butler on a curve that dropped below the zone made him look silly and then you got tyler Soderstrom and justin henry malloy both on a cutter that that was ranging between 92 and 94. The thing I worry about with him is his injury um, or potential for injury, I should say. When you throw that fast, you worry about guys like Jacob DeGrom, Jordan Hicks, anybody like that. But I will say, I'm not an expert, but his mechanics look smooth. He looked like it was effortless. He didn't look like he was straining at all, unlike Mason Miller, who looks like he's really just forcing it to get there, and it looks like it's all shoulder. Um, it'll be interesting to see, but I think he is going to be the highest riser as far as pitchers go from this Futures game. Yeah, and just a quick update here before I rebuttal you. Uh, Guerrero did win against Rodriguez, 21 home runs to 20. I think you said it, you know, Rodriguez coming out there with 41 home runs. Like it, it's year two now of this. He shows out in, an, in a singular round and just doesn't have the juice to to move forward. So the championship round will be Randy Arozarena at 35 home runs his last round against Vlad. Kind of hope Randy wins it. You know, he's starting to become a marketable player. I do like Randy. I'm rooting for him. Uh, but yes, back to the Futures game. And this is kind of the big takeaway that I have always had from Futures games. And I want to kind of emphasize it here. What I'm looking for is elite level something. When you're talking about Mizorowski, you have multiple tiers of elite play, right? Coming into this game, we heard the fastball was great. We really hadn't seen a lot of uh, video because honestly, at single A, you're not getting the big, the greatest quality of video streams. But what I saw in the highlights was plus secondary stuff. I mean, that cutter is, it almost slides through the zone. You know, when you think about Corbin Burns' cutter, it has a little bit of bite to it. It's been effective, but Mizorowski's cutter moves and I think some of the models that have been projecting him and this has been documented on, on other shows throughout the industry have talked about how they don't know if it's a slider or if it's a cutter it's not a slider 93 94 miles an hour that's a cutter but it has a lot of movement that's a plus pitch for me and it could become a plus plus pitch depending on how he uses it 
Um, but also the curveball, as you mentioned, like he has an arsenal to be an absolutely dominant major league pitcher. Just the question, as you had said, does injury concerns creep up here, right? Um, that's something we just have to be honest with and, and we're very exciting for him. And I think, I think you're going to see his stock skyrocket in dynasty leagues over the next month. Um, and if you're in dynasty leagues and you're trading, I would not be moving him unless it were for high value. And the thing with his curveball, it almost looks like a, a slider or a slur because it comes in at like, I can't remember. I want to say like mid eighties, which most curveballs are in the seventies. So it doesn't drop off the table like most, but like, I mean, it's got crazy movement to it. That was the surprise. Like I picked him up in our dynasty league one, because I knew he was getting named to the futures game. So I wanted to get ahead of the curve. And two, I knew he threw a hundred miles an hour. I was like, those two things are a recipe for success. I had no idea how filthy his secondaries were. And that was a, a, a nice surprise for me. I will say. Well, and, you know, you, you talk about Mizorowski and, you know, putting our, our dynasty league aside and putting, like, I, I guess fantasy aside, even though that's what our show is revolving around, I really hope Milwaukee uses him properly. We're going to talk about another uh, player that they drafted a little bit later. Going to have similar profile and injury concerns. And um, I, I just see Mizorowski, like, this is the type of guy next year, if they're fighting for a postseason position, if they've improved their offense, where you bring him up and you let him pitch an inning or two innings into the postseason, and you just have him absolutely dominate players, and you take it slow with him from a developmental perspective of trying to get him to be a starter in this league. It's like, let's just get him in the big leagues healthy, and we'll figure everything else out as to where his role plays out. I'm really interested to see, as we have more of these players come through organizations, kind of which direction they start taking them as they identify elite-level skills just injury concerns um and, and it's just it's have, disappointing before the futures game i almost traded uh Mizorowski for colt keith in our dynasty league i don't hate that because of the because of the injury concerns we have with Mizorowski, but you you would have been selling silver when it was gold oh yeah no i i retracted and the owner didn't want to do that either either way but i want to do that now even after the futures game is over but well, I just and, thought that'd be interesting for the listeners and for you to know. Well, and Colt Keith, we, we, we like Colts, right? Like, I, I think I think we're very, I think we're high on Colts. I think we think his skill set will translate well to the big leagues. I think personally, it's going to take him time. I think it's going to be at least a year before we see him to, hitting 270 or 280. I think it's going to take a little time for the power. And Mizorowski's an arm. Arms are more valuable than position players as it currently stands in most fantasy leagues. So I think I think you made the right decision there. All right, let's uh, let's move on. It is time for the big time part of the episode. It's draft season, everyone. So we had a very fun day yesterday, kind of talking about the draft, watching the draft. I, of course, woke up late, so I got to miss the Skeens and Cruz pick because, of course, my sleep schedule's on point. Um, but we are going to talk about some surprising picks to start us off, and then we are going to transition into winners, losers. We're going to give you some highlight picks. Um, some interesting picks as to where they may have fallen um, and organizations that may have taken them. But Richie, why don't you kick us off with some of the surprising picks? Yeah, I mean, we'll just break down the, the first five picks real quick for the listeners if they're not aware. The first overall pick was Paul Skeens to Pittsburgh Pirates. It was almost unanimously supposed to be Dylan Cruz to the Pirates pretty much up until the week of the draft. So I guess that first pick was a surprise no shocker the washington nationals go dylan cruz at number two but i think the most surprising thing was max clark getting taken third overall by the detroit tigers excuse me and it was pretty much unanimous that paul Skeens, dylan cruz and Wyatt langford were the top three hands down you couldn't touch those those were the top three tiers they could be number ones no matter what and the Tigers went and take Max Clark, who was an outfielder in high school. Now, he does have the ceiling of a potential number one. That was the rumors. But for them to pass on Wyatt Langford was a shocker. He then falls to number four to the Texas Rangers, which is pretty much a Christmas gift in itself because you get a college guy. He's got the power. He's got the hit. He can help you in a couple of years, maybe even next year, for a team that's trying to compete. Um, much better than getting a high school outfielder that's a few years away. So I think that three, four pick of Langford and Clark are the biggest surprises in the draft overall. 
Well, and I think when you really look at both of those players, we'll talk about Clark first. You're talking about more of an organizational fit as well as a team structure fit. We just talked about Colton Heath. They have Torkelson, right? You have two really big bats that are from the college levels. I think actually Colton may have been a high school pick, but bigger guys that are projecting to be middle-of-the-order hitters. Langford is also that guy, right? Langford is the type of guy that's going to hit 260 to 280, 30 to 40 home runs. And when you think about that, you're like, how do you not draft that? The problem is he's going to be a corner outfielder. Riley Green probably shouldn't be a center fielder. He should probably be a left fielder if, if he's not the right fielder and Langford goes to left. So point being here is they need a center fielder. If you think back to the Jackson Job draft, they passed up on Lawler and they passed up on Meyer, which is up the middle positional play. They chose positional play up the middle here. Max Clark is going to be a plus defender, if not an elite defender. He's going to project to have more power as he gets older because he's only 17 years old. He has a plus hit tool. So we're talking about a kid that could ultimately develop into a perennial all-star because of his overall play. And you're talking about great projectability with the hope that maybe he becomes a 300 hitter with 30 home runs. If it, yeah, that is the case, this was the right pick. If Max Clark is a 260, 270 hitter with 15 home runs and 15 stolen bases and Langford turns into what we assume he will, we will look back in years from now and say this was a mistake. But I think the Tigers are saying, listen, we've got the bats already. We need the defense and we also need the contact. And I do see that in Max Clark. Um, but I absolutely love Langford to the Rangers. You know, you and I talked a little bit today off air and we were kind of projecting their outfield. You have Tavares emerging, former prospect, right? You have the uh, ability to be bringing up now Langford in this outfield as well. You have Sebastian Walcott at 17 years old playing really well uh, in, in complex league, who is probably four years away from the majors. But, you know, that's a projectable bat that we'll watch for the next three or four years. This outfield for Texas is going to be absolutely fantastic. And I didn't even mention Evan Carter's name. So, or Adolis Garcia. <laughs> well, correct, right? Like, well, presumably Adolis has probably three years left. And at that point, Walcott will probably be a rookie, right? It may be still in the minors, but they're set for a long run of projectability. And I, I think this worked out really well for both clubs because, say, Clark is the Rangers pick and you're battling whether you take, you know, him or you go pitching there. Um, I, I just think the Tigers and the Rangers both did really well here, and it started with the Tigers taking a risk on Clark. Yeah, absolutely. The next surprising pick came at number six to the Oakland Athletics. They, they didn't do terrible. They took Jacob Wilson out of Grand Canyon University. He is the son of Jack Wilson, who was also a major leaguer, if I'm not mistaken it might not be, it might be something yeah he else was uh he was a pirate for a while i'm sure he probably bounced around to a few other teams but he was a hated player in the early 2000s um didn't strike out often like his son doesn't and just a pesky guy just great good defender yeah. you know like he was he was a shortstop on a bad team which was the pirates for a long time but here's the thing and why it's surprising is this is a draft class that is super deep at shortstop probably 2030 that could be first rounders if i'm not mistaken um whether it's high school college what you name it whatever there's plenty of them for them to pick they had a comp pick they have second round i, I don't they had at least three picks on day one i don't know if they had four either way i thought for sure they would take red louder or chase dolander they have no pitching they've got nothing in their farm um yeah you got some guys from the braves um but there's nothing notable nothing to be your keystone nothing to be your ace Rhett Lauder or Chase Dolander could have been that for them, and they passed on him, and that was surprising for me. But we were talking, maybe this is their way of tanking to help them move to Las Vegas. We are completely, you know, speculating, and this is just our opinions and thoughts, so there's no, no weight to that. Just something to note and just something to think about. Yeah, you know, we talked about that, and I had brought it up to you that I saw it on Reddit, and the concept was they need a two-thirds vote of the league owners to move to Vegas. And the Reddit user was like, well, what better way than to convince the rest of the league to allow you to move cities than to just tank completely and draft the wrong players and trade away your good assets, like buying good faith with the rest of the owners. I said, if I was in this position, I would do that. You know, like they're playing a different game. And I have that conversation a lot when you talk about economics and levels of, of income source, as well as decision making, like these are owners of billion dollar organizations. They're playing a different game. So the reason I said that is because I just look at this pick and I say, why would you do that? 
as you said, Dolander's available. Like you're moving to a new city. He has the potential to be an ace level starter. He is a college arm. Like signability isn't necessarily a problem. You take him, right? Or if you're going to go with more of an upside piece, you've got other names on the board. You could have gone Noble Meyer, right? You could have gone with um, the the lefty that we're going to talk about for Miami in a little bit, Thomas White. <clears throat> I just absolutely do not understand the pick. And a lot of analysts love it. They think it's a very safe play. They think he'll be the shortstop there for the future. Uh, 280 to 300 hitter with 10 to 15 home runs. And it's like, that's great and all, but that's not a Dolander. That's not a Meyer. Like there were other options I really liked. And I was just very surprised by this. And I'm curious to see the roster construction of the A's moving forward after the vote goes through the league. Yeah, that will be something to keep an eye on for sure. The last surprising pick all coming in within the top 10, is number eight, the Royals. They took Blake Mitchell, who over Kevin Teal, who I thought they were going to take. Kyle, not, not Kevin, Kyle Teal, sorry. Um, Kyle Teal is the catcher out of Virginia. He's pretty polished, pretty much above average on everything besides his power. Blake Mitchell, who they took, is a catcher out of Sinton, Texas High School. He gets above average on everything is including his power. So he's got more power than Kyle Teal. He's got a better arm than Kyle Teal, but Kyle Teal's more polished. He's ready. He's ready to replace Salvador Perez faster. So I thought that was a little interesting. How many more years are you going to get out of Salvador Perez? And how fast can Blake Mitchell ascend? The other thing that was surprising was at the time, Chase Dolander was still available and they could have used him. Um, they tend to go pitcher heavy in the first round but hasn't worked for them um, as of late I think Jackson Cower was a first rounder I believe Daniel Lynch was a comp round if I'm not mistaken Frank Mazzucato was a high pick I'm not sure if he was a first rounder so maybe they were trying to get away from that and that's why they pass on Dolander I'm not sure or if they just saw a catcher was a higher need either way I thought for sure it was going to be Teal or Dolander at this pick and for them to take Blake Mitchell I was surprised by that yeah, if I remember correctly, uh, Mazzucato was the seventh pick last year. It was it was top ten for sure. And you're right, they've gone predominantly pitching heavy for as long as I can remember now, and it hasn't worked. Um, Mazzucato obviously is too young. We can't say he's going to be a su- budding superstar or bad, right? He's in he's in high A, if I'm correct, or A ball. Um, so there's a lot, the book's still out, and and maybe that's what scared them away, but. Taking Blake Mitchell over Teal was, as you said, very questionable, but also, to me, not the highest high school catching prospect. That was um, Velasquez from Huntington Beach. Like This is the kid that the Guardians end up taking that I have down on the bottom of our notes as kind of a questionable pick as well um, because they have Bo Naylor and because this kid has so much question marks. Like I think the industry standard is that high school catchers are always a very, very volatile position to take because so much can happen to the body, so much can happen to the skill set. You just don't know. So they chose to take Blake Mitchell. Uh, definitely interesting. And I think you're right. Like I will always come back to the A's as well as the Royals and think Dolander should have been on one of these teams, and he's not. And now he's stuck in Colorado. Yeah, that just hurts his draft stock. If there's a single loser for this draft as far as fantasy goes it's chase dolander like i was excited for him to be a part of the fantasy world and now i'm not i was excited about john gray i completely wrote him off once he went to colorado same thing here it just sucks he he went to fantasy graveyard and it's just bad i mean listen i mean a squirrel finds a nut a squirrel finds a nut maybe he's the guy the, the rockies need pitching though so I'll say the Rockies are a winner because they were able to get Dolander, but God, that sucks. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I no, digress. It, it does. And you know, we have, we have those as our losers that we'll get to in a little bit, but Sean Sullivan also taken uh, either comp round or second round. You know, I had sent you, you know, I think he's an Andrew Abbott comp and, and you had said to me, well, it doesn't matter. He's dead now. Like, uh, and, and it sucks because <laughs> not actually dead, but, but like, fantasy relevant. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I think my squirrel finds a nut comment is, is someone eventually outside of Obaldo Jimenez, Jimenez and his one season in Colorado with like a sub three ERA, somebody has to be the guy, right? Someone has to be the prophet of the Colorado pitching staff to finally be like, I can do this. I got this, you know? And like, if that's Dolander, hell yeah. Like 
super stoked for the Rockies then because we talked, they've got the position players. That's covered. Like they're on their way. They're progressing. They're playing well in the minor leagues. Like I'm pretty confident that they'll have a position and a lineup that will be successful. They do not have the pitching. So they took a pitcher in last year's first round pick. They have Dolander. They have Sullivan. Like maybe one of them turns out. And if that's the case, I think that's that's a two it's a good two year window of drafting. Like at least you got one of them. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fair. All right, Richie, uh, let's move on. We're gonna do our winners. We're gonna get on more of a positive note here. So we have the Washington Nationals as our first winners. Obviously, getting Dylan Cruz. Hooray! Let's go. Break down a little bit for Cruz for me. What you're projecting moving forward, and then they also got Morales, which was a huge slide. Like both of these guys. Yeah, absolutely. When you get the first overall pick um, unanimously and he falls the two to you, you take that hands down and you run and you run as fast as you can. We talked about him in the past, but he gets a 70 grade hit tool, 60 grade power. I'd love to see that 60 grade run is a little bit uh, aggressive. I don't think he's that great of a runner, um, but he's got great on base skills. I would almost say his on-base skills, like his ability to see the zone is comparable to Juan Soto. Um, Not saying his hitting skills or power skills are the same, but I think he's got a good hit tool. I think he'll hit 280 as his floor in his prime, and I think it can be 320 at his ceiling. I think his power is more so 15 to 25 in any given year, maybe 30 max, but that's still a great player, maybe 5 to 15 steals. Um, overall, that's that's a great player, and you include his defense, and yeah, a great player. Now moving on to Johan, well, butchering his name already, uh, Johandy Morales. I don't know if I'm butchering that, but he is known for his power, 60-grade power. He was the 20. 20th ranked prospect by MLB he falls to I'm trying to I don't have the pick but it's at least the second or comp round so first round talent falling to them absolutely love that that's a steal for them I think he was the third maybe fourth ranked third baseman they do have Brady House who has come around but you can never have enough good players he could play DH maybe move around go to the outfield hit tools 50 but he does have some strikeout upside or downside I should say he was taken 40th overall. Look that up for you guys. Only 21 years old. Played for Miami. Um, love what I see there for these two picks for the Washington Nationals. And you pair that with everything they got um, from the Juan Soto deal. C.J. Abrams, James Wood, Mackenzie Gore. Uh, who else? Robert Hassel. Robert Hassel. They, yep. they've, got a, they've got a young crew coming up. And I might get back on the Washington Nationals bandwagon. Break those hats again. out. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I still have one in my closet somewhere. Um, but yeah, I love what they. I love what they did. They are hands down one of the top five winners for me. Yeah, I mean, think about this outfield, right? You have James Wood probably going to right field now that Cruz is in this. So we're gonna put Wood in right, Cruz in center, and Hassel in left. You have the immense power of James Wood and the projectability that he'll turn into, which is probably a 30 to 40 uh, home run hitter. Good average still, probably 270. You have Cruz, 270 to 280, possibly 300, possibly upwards of 30 home runs. You know, I think the this, the floor in his all-star seasons will be 20. Um, I think he'll steal more. I think you have to really look at his college numbers and realize he was on second base a lot. He was rounding the bases a lot. That takes away the ability to steal bases when you're hitting, you know, almost 500 and everything you're doing is extra base hits. So I think Dylan Cruz's speed will show, um, but I, I am curious. That 60 grade is is interesting for me as well. And then Morales, you're right. Brady House absolutely showing out this season. He was coming into the year for me as a bust. You know, we talked about this a little bit off air, but he absolutely put on a show in batting practice in Seattle for the Futures game. And his numbers in the minors this year are showing out as well. Like he has really started to blossom into being a first round pick like he was. So maybe Morales ends up being their DH, but that still means that you have Abrams at short. You have either Morales or you have House at third. You can mix and, and match at second. Uh, maybe Morales ends up going over to first. This team is really rounding out to be a potential like three, four all-star t- uh, player team a year. And it's really exciting. Uh, I, I would have loved to see Skeens fall because I think they probably could have used the number one ace upside a little bit more than Cruz. But all Cruz does is locks them into a great foundation and they can spend money in free agency on pitching now. 
and just rely on the fact that hopefully this lineup will score runs. Yeah, you're not going to complain whether you get Cruz or Skeen, so they got to love what they got there for sure. Yeah, so it looks like Vladimir Guerrero just won the home run derby, I think. Too bad he can't hit home runs in the regular season, though. (laughs) Well, it was really interesting. I I have it on here as we're recording, and he looked gassed, um, first and foremost. Oh, no, uh, uh, Randy has another 30 seconds. He's four home runs down. This will be interesting. But, yeah, Guerrero looked gassed. And I I kid you not, out of his first 10, 15 swings, maybe 13 of them were, like, straight into the ground. And it was just, like, his swing path just isn't tailored to the home run swing like it had been in his 40 home run season and i was interested to see if randy got up there and showed like a better conditioning randy's absolutely gassed he's currently bent over uh trying to suck air so i don't think this is easy for anybody but it's just a testament of like these guys are going out there and exerting everything they have in themselves uh we will keep you updated but yeah the next the next winner for me would be the cincinnati reds you and i were talking we're already starting to hop on the bandwagon. You guys already know from listening to past podcasts how much we love the Reds. I think we just love them this much more. <laughs> they they end up getting Rhett Louder at uh, pick six because the Oakland Athletics did not take him. He went toe-to-toe in the College World Series against Paul Skeens. Did phenomenal. He's known for his control and his command. He has average or above-average grades, fastball, slider, changeup. Um, I don't want to say he's the second best pitcher in this class, but I'd at least rank him top three, if not top four, for sure. I think that's at least his floor. Um, then they go and get Ty Floyd, who was the number two pitcher for LSU this year. He His stock has been rising. He throws in a nasty fastball. I'm trying to pull up his numbers here. Um, he's the 58th ranked, but his stock was flying. I think he wasn't even in the top 100 before the College World Series. He gets 60 grade ranks on his fastball, but I think it can touch 100. Um, pulling it up here, 98, I think, but he ranges around 94, 95. Um, that that that's not right. I think he's higher higher 90s now. So he's he's increased velocity, and then they go and get Sammy Starfura, who is one of the shortstops. Um, who fell in the draft. He was highly ranked, 32 overall, and he ended up, it doesn't list when he got drafted, but he got drafted in the second round sometime. So he was a a borderline first-round comp pick, ends up falling in the second round. So love what the Reds did here. Yeah, absolutely love it. And it's interesting because uh, Rhett Lauder is going to be more of a ground ball pitcher, as you said, more control. I think he fits their profile a lot better than uh, Dolander would have. Dolander is going to be a possible ace with a strikeout upside. He projectably will give up a decent amount of home runs. That's just something that someone with a good fastball does. If you think about Garrett Cole, a couple other big names in the game, you think about Max Scherzer, that's a flaw at times, and that cannot be a flaw in Cincinnati. Rhett Lauder was the right choice here because I think I would rate Dolander ahead of Lauder um, against Rhett Lauder. But for the Reds, fantastic choice. Going to be an absolute solid number two. A very, very, very good number three if that's where he ends up being in this rotation. And then Ty Floyd. You have the ability to have a guy that has a five uh, to two starter projection here. Uh, Floyd could be the number two starter in this rotation. And all when the things are all said and done, he could also be a fantastic number five because you open the door for the velocity as well as the pedigree of pitching at LSU. The LSU coach, of course, raved about him. But when you think about his actual production in the College World Series as well as this season, there's a lot to like in Floyd. I think they got two absolute mega studs here. And I think what we're talking about is Cincinnati dominating the Central for the next five, six, seven years with what is coming now. Yeah, hopefully not as being a Bruce fan. But I do think that is a high likelihood of happening the next winner I had was the Miami Marlins. Not only did they get the best right-hand high schooler, they also got the best left-handed high schooling pitching. And if there's one thing the Marlins know how to do is develop pitching. They get Noble Meyer at pick 10. He was rated as the number eight overall prospect. He's got a nasty fastball, comes in at 60 grade. He has a slider that's above average. He's got great control. And just listening to the interviews during the draft process, he's got a good head on his shoulder. One of those yes, ma'am, yes, sirs. Um, definitely respected. I think he's going to take whatever advice he gets him, and I, I can't wait to see 
what he does and how he develops in the next few years. Moving on, Thomas White. This was a guy I wanted the Brewers to draft when they were picking. He was the 24th overall prospect according to MLB Pipeline. He's a left-handed pitcher out of Phillips Academy in Maryland. He also has a great fastball at 60, um, above average across the board, 6'5", 210, has a good frame. Love to see that. Be interesting to see which one of these guys progresses faster through the Marlin system and if they trade him for any um, bats when they need to because that's the one thing that they struggle with. Well, yeah, and I think that's the most notable thing here is you look at, and you had mentioned, how the organization develops pitching really better than most, right? Zach Gallen being traded for Jazz Chisholm was kind of the start of, of, of this pipeline, bringing in talent from other organizations with a surplus. Chisholm just hasn't stayed healthy, while Gallen has turned into arguably a top 15, top 10 pitcher for Arizona. Just didn't work out, but I would expect to see more of that as they start to churn out some of these pitchers that they've taken uh, in the past drafts, I think um, Elder's one of, is it Elder that I'm thinking of the left-hander? Um, it's Edder. Edder. Yep. Edder's, Edder. Edder's one of them as well. Someone that we really like and is projectable. He, you know, he's going to be coming through in the next couple of years. He's an option to be traded, but to nail both of these guys. And I think signability is going to be the real question here as well. Can they get Thomas White and Noble Meyer both to sign? And if they can, it'll be an absolute A plus draft. You're just talking about having six, seven, eight guys deep if they choose not to make a trade that fall in line with a two, three in the rotation starter. Again, from a fantasy perspective, you're looking at kind of monitoring these two players over the next couple of years, seeing how their minor league development and numbers are going. You could have guys at an absolute premium level in the majors in a good ballpark. Only problem is they need offense. So I think we love this pick. Um, I think Myers definitely my favorite here, but I think White could have you know, real high upside. I think White for me is probably a number three starter. Also Pablo Lopez for Luis Arise just this past year. Yeah. But also I think Thomas White might have fell because I think he is committed to Vanderbilt, which is hard to come off of. But if they sign him for above average slot, he might do it. Um, The next one, Minnesota Twins. This was another one we were talking about Mm -hmm. off the air last night. Or was that two nights ago? I can't even remember. But they get... A top five pick in Walker Jenkins. So we talked about the unanimous three was Paul Skeens, uh, Dylan Cruz, and Wyatt Langford. There was also a unanimous top five. Like those were the top five, no matter what order they were going. The other two being Walker Jenkins and Max Clark. We already talked about Max Clark going at three. Walker Jenkins goes to the Minnesota Twins at five. Great pick, no brainer. But it was them getting Charlie Soto in the second round i believe or was it a comp round either way charlie soto fell in this draft he was the 28th overall prospect right-handed pitcher out of reborn christian florida high school only 17 years old but man he's got some nasty stuff his slider is ridiculous he's got a good fastball um he was there at the draft he brought like his whole family just super excited to be there um you gotta love love that not only do they get one of the best um hitters they also get a great pitching option for them so i love what the minnesota twins did here yeah i you know we were very excited about it and and i think too you know we're gonna talk about the brewers here in a little while but this is a question that i'm going to be interested to monitor over the next five years brewers taking josh noth uh high school arm as well out of new york right after that soto goes at 34 to the twins noth went 33 to the brewers and then 35 you had thomas white coming off the board you know, if White signs with Miami, Soto signs with the Twins, and Noth signs with the Brewers, we're going to be comparing these three players over the next five to ten years. And I loved Soto. You talked about pedigree. You talked also about uh, character with a with a past player. And Soto bringing his family and seeing the excitement also coming from a middle-class family where he talked about the sacrifices that were made from his family uh, really showcases his level of understanding and the emphasis that he's going to have to have with putting in the work now that he's going to, going to be a projected pro. Um, absolutely love that. And Walker Jenkins, again, you're talking about a kid that probably is a first overall pick if this class wasn't as strong as it was. And to be able to get that at five and pair that with a top tier arm, uh, Minnesota just absolutely hit it out of the park. Only thing I'll say is they're both high schoolers. So I would have liked a little bit more uh, safety net, but you're talking about really, really high upside. Yeah, absolutely. The next and final team was the San Francisco Giants. 
I love what they did. They didn't get high-end talent, but they got values across the board. So they end up getting Bryce Eldridge, pitcher out of James Madison, at pick 23. No, pick 16, but he was a 23rd ranked pitcher slash first baseman. Um, then you have Walker Martin that they get in the second round at pick 52, but Walker Martin was falling and falling fast. This is one of those shortstops, and I wonder if he was falling because everybody who needed a shortstop got it in their first or comp round picks. He ends up falling to 52 when he was ranked 30th, but then in the second round comp pick at 69, they also go and get Joe Whitman, who was a pitcher out of Kent State. He was falling fast in this draft. He was ranked 37th overall. Not really sure why he was falling, but either way, that second and second comp pick for the San Francisco Giants is what did it in for me that made them winners for this draft. Yeah, we love their pick. Eldridge was the guy that we had talked about pre-draft that I was really hoping Milwaukee would be able to take. Uh, two-way player, not really sure where he's going to fall. Is he going to be a pitcher? Is he going to be a hitter? Uh, they did the same thing last year, which was well-documented uh, around the, the draft as well. So they have some things to shake out, but they're taking talent, and that talent will play. And I think they safety netted that talent with Walker Martin, right? You're talking about a left-handed bat, 6'2", projectable, 50-grade hit, 55-grade power. Um, this is going to be a player that could project into 60-65 power. This could be a kid that hits 30 to 35 home runs, probably moves over to third base. I think that's the uh, projection here because he is still young at 19 years old and there is body growth to happen. But the Giants added immense talent to this organization that was needed. And I'm really excited with some of the players they have up right now because you're going to have great big leaguers that are going to be having high projectable players also hit this roster in the next three to four years. And you're going to have a really good mix of high upside talent as well as that foundational level. Yeah, I think that does it for our winners. Um, anything else you want to say, Matt, on these guys? No, I think it's uh, I think it's time for us to get negative. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I think we're honestly going to just graze over some of these here because we've talked about a lot of them. Um, Kansas City Royals are going to be our first loser. Richie, you talked a lot about Blake Mitchell earlier. Um, I, I just want to notate that Blake Walters was their second pick in this draft. They safety netted themselves in a lot of ways because Walters is a high-end uh, high school arm. Signability is going to be hard. I think they're going to be able to lock him in. This may alter my grade in a few years for them because of the Walters pick. Um, does anything change your mind about Walters being taken after Mitchell? No, not necessarily because I'm a little bit pessimistic with their ability to develop Blake Walters. So unless he comes out of the gates and does really well in the minor leagues, I it's kind of a wait and see for me, but it's really the the Blake Mitchell pick that made them losers for me. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with you. You know, we're, I think we sit at the same exact uh, table with that opinion, and it's it's hard not to feel that way. Next on our list is the Oakland A's. We talked a lot about uh, Jacob Wilson, but I think Miles Naylor was a nice pick. Uh, obviously, the Naylor brothers playing in Cleveland with Bo as well as Josh. This is going to be the younger brother. A little bit more um, polished player in regards to overall skill set. He doesn't have the power that Josh has. He doesn't have the hit tool that um, Bo has. Talking about more kind of in the middle, I like this, and this player gets me excited for Oakland. What are your thoughts on Naylor? Yeah, I don't know too much about Naylor, if I'm being honest. Um, was unaware he was one of the, the Naylor brothers. Um, I just thought it was a reach because he was lower ranked on the prospects at 64 and he got taken at 39th, but it could have been a money grab, save some money. Um, also hope that the family ties run deep and he can produce like he did with his brother, but it was also Ryan Lasko, um, taken at the 41st pick, just two picks after Naylor. And he was a pitcher out of Milburn high school, but he was lower ranked two at 60th overall. And it just seemed like they reached on these guys and just took some value when they they could have got some better talent that was on the board. I remember when the draft was happening, there was quite a few guys who were still available that I thought would be great fits for a great fit for Oakland. And I can't remember the names now because there were so many on the board at the time. But I just remember thinking, man, if I was the GM there, I would have taken X, Y, or Z over the guys that they took especially in the comp and round two. Um, and it just stuck like a sore thumb for me. Yeah. And I have that list for you. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know Lasko if he was a pitcher in high school, but he he's now an outfielder out of Rutgers. 
Um, and, and Lasko is a defensive first off fielder. This is the problem with the pick for me because there is no offensive upside here. You're taking a guy that's a plus outfielder. Great. What does that do for your organization? When you guys have like Blake Walters at 44, when you have Sean Sullivan at 46, when you have the younger brother of the player in your organization ranked two at prospects in Jake Geloff at 60 to the Dodgers, which we'll talk about as an absolute steal. There were at least three or four other names on top of Walker Martin going to San Francisco across the bay who we just raved about. So again, I just have absolutely no idea what Oakland is doing. I thought after the Nailers, the, the Nailer pick, I was like, oh, okay, maybe maybe I'm wrong about Jacob Wilson. And then they go and they draft, draft Lesko. Why take a defensive outfielder? I, I just have absolutely no idea really what they're doing. Um, he has a 45-grade hit, 50 power, 55 run, 60 arm, 55 field, 45 overall. Um, yeah, just not good. I don't have his college numbers, but played at Rutgers. So, you know, we're just very confused as to what Oakland's doing, and that's why they're losers for us. Yeah, I just got the list, too. Um, that's crazy. The one thing we forgot to talk about is Kemp Alderman, uh, outfielder going out of Ole Miss to Miami Marlins, also winner. He has huge power. I completely forgot, passed him over. I really like what he has. Um, but, yeah, just all those names that you just listed off could have easily went Any one over. of them. Any one yep. of them, you know? And, and I get it if it's signability. If you're looking at Walker Martin and you're saying, you know, maybe he won't sign – and this and that. But when you're talking about Shane Sullivan, that's a left-handed arm that you could have used. You know, like that could be right now in your rotation because you're that bad. It's frustrating. Yeah. Um, the only other losers on the list are pretty much Chase Dolander and Sean Sullivan, <laughs> who we mentioned earlier. And it's just not because they're bad players. It's because they got a bad environment that they're going to be dealing with once they reach the majors being in Colorado. So bummer to see there. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of talked at length about that. I, I have um, Ralphie Velazquez, the high school catcher from Huntington Beach that I mentioned earlier, as a possible notation for losers. Again, don't love taking a high school catcher, uh, but he is the best high school catching bat that is ranked in this draft. Projection possibly moved to first base. Um, you know, we'll see how development goes there. Guardians, obviously in a bad spot in the 20s with their pick, so... I think they were just looking for upside. This is another organization that, much like uh, Miami, just hasn't done a very good job of developing hitters. George Valera knows that. Uh, Josh Naylor is just now starting to come out of uh, his shell a little bit, was obviously in a former organization. But, uh, Richie, we have some highlights. So we're going to talk about some guys that maybe we didn't mention at length, uh, maybe give a comp for him. So why don't you start off because you really like um, Brandon Field for the Vandy and being drafted by the Orioles. Uh, yeah, Enrique Bradfield. I liked what I liked that pick. I texted you on the side. Just seems like the Orioles are putting together a squad. He's got a, a decent hit tool at fifty. Not not real much power at forty, but he is the fastest player in this draft. Gets a, the highest rating you can get, eighty on his run. His fielding seventy. So he's got defense. It's more so of a overall baseball player. But if you're playing in steals, man. It'd be crazy. Um, if I had to give a comp, I'm blanking on the name, but he was a speedster that was on the Reds, got traded a, a, a bit. Billy I'm Hamilton. The, Billy Hamilton, yes. I would say Enrique Bradfield reminds me of a version of Billy Hamilton. Um, and just looking at what the Orioles did this year, we were there was a lot of analytics on how many stolen bases were they're going to be this year with the new rules, the the new pickoff attempts, and the Orioles were leading the race in the first month, and they were blowing everybody out of the water by a long shot. I'm not sure where they rank now, but they like to steal, and if Enrique can hit, I could see this guy easily getting 60 stolen bases once he's in the majors. Well, and I, I think more recently, even more than Billy Hamilton, is Ruiz for Oakland. I, I, th I think his floor— Oh, a story, Ruiz? Yeah, yeah, I think his floor is probably a story. Um, and I, I think the best comment I've heard so far with draft recap is just look at what the Orioles have done with their hitters. I mean, everything they touch turns to gold. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for, um, for him to just 
develop as a hitter, you know, to turn into something even more than he is. And that's not something you normally say with bats coming out of the collegiate level is that there's more to the development process. But you talk about Kobe Mayo, you talk about Jackson Holiday, Kirsten Herstead, like the names go on, Colton Kowser, like everything that they've done is done, done really well. So I love the pick because I think the organization was right. Um, I think I think he could have gone to another organization and may never have hit the pro level. Speed's great, but if you can't get developed into a hitter, you can't get on base. Like there's problems there. So I absolutely loved the landing spot for him. I think it was the best landing spot uh, in the draft outside of the top ten. Yeah. The next one is Brock Wilkin for the Milwaukee Brewers out of Wake Forest. More so known for his power than his hit. He does have a good arm though. Um, okay fielding be interesting to see if he stays at third base i wasn't a big fan when this happened but you love this pick matt um i was hoping that they go johan morales but either way they got a position of need at third base we don't have much in the system for the brewers so they definitely um, target a position of need yeah, well, and the, him and Morales both have the same question marks, right? Like, both is like, are they going to be good enough at defense to stay here? And if you remember when Braun was taken out of Miami, he was terrible. Um, he was not good for a while at third base, and I, he ended up finding a home. So I think Wilkin will as well. I think the Brewers obviously like Wilkin more than Morales, or the way they, they would have taken Morales. But when we were talking pre-draft over, over the week, I was like, Wilkin was one of the guys I liked a lot. Um, and again, you talk about draft position and where they were taking like at 18, 17, 18, I can't remember which pick they had, but like you, you kind of are forced to just take what's left and to take what's left while it's a position of need was a really good landing spot. And we talked about that with the Orioles pick. Like I like this for the Brewers because it was a position of need. He's a college bat. He should move quickly. Uh, swing and miss is a concern. We could see a guy that could come up and hit 220, 230 with power and eventually develop into a 250, 260 hitter. That's kind of my projection for him. Yeah, the the one thing I forgot to say is I wanted us to take Braden Taylor, who went a pick yeah. later to the Tampa Bay Rays. Braden Taylor is more so average or above average across the board, 55 hit, power, arm, field, overall. His run is 50, but when you get 55 grades across the board, you got something a little bit more concrete, um, maybe less swing and miss. Either way, they ended up Brewers ended up getting another third baseman that's contact approach first in the third round, I want to say. So they've got some options there. So the next one is Jake Geloff to the Dodgers, and he fell. He, yep. he fell hard. I think he went at pick like 60-something, but he was the 35th overall. I don't know if that was signability or if he – wouldn't sign unless he was got an X amount of money. That's when the whole logistics and politics of the draft come into play with slot money. I'm not sure about the story on him. Do you have anything on this one, Matt? Yeah, so his, his older brother plays for the A's in AAA. We just saw him on July 3rd. Um, you know, as much as I absolutely love the A's organization, we did finally go to a minor league game. Uh, Tyler Solerstrom, of course, I missed three of his at-bats because the sun was in my face, but... Putting that story aside, he is the younger brother of the A's Geloff, and I'm comping him to Justin Turner. This is an absolute travesty that he fell to the 60th pick. He's out of Virginia. You know, like you said, it might have been signability. It might have been he had a dollar amount because his brother's done this before. Like you have the experience within this process where maybe you just put a number out there. But the fact that the Dodgers were able to get him, he is a fast track player coming out of college. You have options for him to hit this system immediately, which... We talk about the Dodgers a lot being a great system. They're so deep at pitching. When you actually look at their bats, they've had a lot of injuries this year, and especially within the infield, they have a need for third as well as second after you get past Bush. So I really like this pick. I think he could be a utility guy, or he could just fall in as their starting third baseman in just a couple of years here. This was a huge win for the Dodgers. Yeah, that'll be interesting. If he can turn into something like Trey Turner, that'd be interesting. If I said Trey Turner, I am so sorry. Justin Turner. Um, oh, I heard maybe maybe just getting late for me. <laughs> if he's like, Trey Turner, like, this is I was like Trey Turner fell to the 60th. Yeah, What's could you imagine? Uh, no, but just but Justin Turner, think about that, right? 280, 20 home runs. Like, okay, like that's yeah, that's fair. That's an incredibly productive player that you get at 60 when the A's are out here taking guys that are gonna be working at Burger King in a month and a half. <laughs> that's true. Um, Josh Noth. We're gonna we're gonna give him a, a quick rundown. Um, 
he's for the Brewers, another highlight name. We, I think you and I both were kind of like, what? When they took yeah, him with we 32? Were shocked. Because we had been talking about all these other names that we've mentioned, right? When we've ran through them before on this show. And after the show, I kind of, or after the, the draft, I kind of looked into Noth. A lot of people actually really liked him. I think he was in the 90s overall um, rated and real incredible spin rate. 98th overall, which yeah. is like 33rd, 30, I think. Yeah, in early 30s. And um, after after reading some of the reviews, I kind of like the pick. We, we went over the three players that are in that 30 range that we're going to be watching for the next few years. Um, I, my apologies. My dog is needing attention. But um, Noth really has a great curveball, power curveball, has a good fastball. I don't know signability. I don't know where he has committed to. But the Brewers taking him here, they have to know that they're going to be able to sign him. And, Richie, I'm telling you, we talked a lot about Mizoroski. I see a lot of similarities to Mizoroski, not as the same kind of elite-level production, but great spin rates, high velocity, uh, smaller frame. So you have concerns that he may be a, a reliever or a bullpen arm or a stretch arm. But the Brewers got a guy here that I think will be interesting to monitor, and I think he could light up the numbers uh, in his first couple stops in the minor leagues. Yeah, so he is a commit to Ole Miss. Okay. He's six foot one. Um, there's a lot of comps to him being Lance McCullers and the way his delivery comes out. His fastball can be clocked up to 96 miles an hour, but it's his power curve. You didn't mention the spin rate on that is 31. Yeah. 100 rpms which is nuts when you it's think curveball, yeah when you think curveball i'm thinking like 15 to 2200 is like probably average because you need it to drop off the table and watching the highlights on him it's just nasty like it just falls off the table like when it's spinning that fast that's just it that's not right it shouldn't be that way and yeah it, it reminds me of the way how the brewers got jacob miserowski last year he was a little bit uh, lower on the rankings and they saw what they liked in his fastball and figured they could develop the secondaries and look what we have right now. He made it to the futures game. So definitely be interesting to see how he stacks up against the other pitchers that got taken in the same range as him. Well, and <clears throat> Mizoroski, we talked about this, this, this week, and I needed to fact check this because when I was reading it, I didn't realize that there was a Louisiana Lafayette as well as an LSU. Um, Mizoroski was either committed to transfer from Juco to LSU or Louisiana Lafayette and if it was LSU, I would joke with you. I was like, could you imagine Mizoroski with Paul Skeens in that rotation? And I think that's a, a huge step for um, Josh Noth is like, he's a high school arm. You're seeing incredible talent that the Brewers are able to source and scout from the high school ranks with that elite level curveball. The only thing that scares the absolute hell out of me is that if he is comp to Lance McCullers, because McCullers does have a great power curve, do we have arm issues, right? And I, I hate bringing that up, um, but McCullers... He is so dominant, it destroyed his arm. Yeah, but the thing is, is we've talked about Lance McCullers in the past, and I can't remember which um, business highlighted that if he doesn't change his mechanics, his arm is going to fall off. So I'm sure they have some sort of software out there that can identify that with him, and the Brewers will change his mechanics if there is injury that is down the road for him. So yeah. I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, let's move on. We have one more for highlights, and this is a guy that you want to talk about a little bit for the Atlanta Braves. This is a Florida pitcher, if I'm correct. Yep. Herson Waldrop. He was also in the Colorado series. I think, I don't know if he went up against Paul Skeens, but he's got a great fastball, high 90s. Um, he's more so known for his splitter. I think they're saying um, out of the whole draft, he is the best splitter, which. Take that with a grain of salt because how many guys throw splitters these days? Mostly it's fastball, slider, changeup. I couldn't tell you how many guys throw splitters in um, all of this draft class. But the thing of note is that he got picked up by the Atlanta Braves. And if there's one thing that you need to know about the Atlanta Braves is they know how to develop pitchers. So it'll be interesting to see how he progresses and where he fits in because the Atlanta Braves have a plethora of riches as far as pitching prospects go. Yeah, I love this pick. I mean, the, the rich get richer. And I think they really could have used a position player because they are getting thin. But when he falls to you, you take him. And I think you're talking about development here. And if they need to move him in a deadline, they have a, a piece now. And I think what we're going to see, much like we talked about with Noth, is Waldrop coming into this minor league system and probably putting up incredible numbers because that splitter is a plus pitch. You know, kind of back to the futures game. I look for elite level something to really hold on to, especially for fantasy. And Waldrop's uh, splitter is elite. Yeah, the only downside to him, and they talked about it on the broadcast, is 
He has great control of his splitter, but nothing else. He doesn't know where his fastball is going. He doesn't know where his slider is going. Gets below average grade, 45 on MLB pipeline. It's can the Braves figure out his control because if he can't command his fastball and slider, it doesn't matter. Players will just lay off his splitter and let it fall under the zone. Yeah, and and again, back to development, right? College arm. um, I, I think the Braves are the organization that can do this. We have a few more names for you before we wrap up. This is under our just interesting category. Uh, first one, Chase Davis. And he's on this list because, A, he was a very fast riser. Everyone loves to talk about how his swing is like cargo. I don't really care to talk about that. I'm just more intrigued that the Cardinals chose to take him. We already have problems in their outfield with too much depth. Um, don't love the landing spot for Chase Davis. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, exactly the same. I I see when they showed the video side-by-side of Cargo and Chase Davis swinging. I see it. I don't think he's going to be Cargo, or we can even expect that. That's a generational talent. But, you know, they got lucky with Jordan Walker a couple of drafts ago. Maybe they strike gold or hit lightning in a bottle twice. I don't see it. His hit tool is only 45 graded, power 55. It's... It, I mean, I'm thinking at our peak, we're seeing a 260, 270 hitter, maybe 20, 25 home runs with good defense. So I think it's above average player. I don't think it's going to be an all-star Carlos Gonzalez, though. Yeah, no, I I think everything you just said I agree with in terms of comp and uh, projectability. And then that brings us to our last name, which is Aiden Miller, which is... Brought up because this was an opportunity for the Cardinals to take Aiden Miller, a very similar toolsy player to Jordan Walker, uh, to the Nolan Gormans who they've taken in the past and developed very well. This this pick, obviously, being Aiden Miller, went to the Phillies. Again, high school uh, bat, big time on the circuit. Uh, did break his hammock bone. This is another hammock bone like uh, Walker Jenkins where like some of the production wasn't there. He probably would have gone much higher had that injury not happened, but... From everything I've heard, he has shown out in junior circuits over the last couple of years, and he fell all the way to the Phillies. I absolutely love this pick for the Phillies. I think this is a high upside player, and it will be interesting to see, do the Cardinals, you know, do they do they kind of look back on this and say, we should, probably should have taken Miller over the outfielder? Yeah, maybe. The only thing I really know about Aiden Miller is when they were showing highlights of him swinging the bat, I really like. It looks a smooth process um, all the way through. Um yeah, that's all I really know about him. Yes. So we have one more note. Um, and if you wanted to add anything to it, please feel free before we wrap the show today. So the last interesting thing was just the Mariners' decisions on their picks this year. Uh, high school bats, high school arms, not a lot of upside. I don't know a lot about them. The draft was in Seattle. It, it was just interesting because normally when the draft is in your city, there's a lot of hype around the player that you drafted. And I just wasn't really excited with anything the Mariners did. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I... I didn't know what their strategy was or what they were looking for. I think they're well vested with pitchers. You know, they've had so many come up. They still have Emerson Hancock down there. Um, and he's still got a little bit of development. So it looked like they needed more so positional players. And it looks like that's what they did here. I'm trying to see who they all took. I don't have it up in front of me. Um, I know they took Johnny from Molo with the um, prospect pick. I'm trying to pull up the other ones here. They took Ty Pete, shortstop out of Trinity Christian, and he was a shortstop that was flying up the boards. There was rumors that the Tampa Bay Rays were going to take Ty Pete at pick 31, and so they jumped on him earlier than they needed to. Colt Emerson, that's the thing, is they took two high school shortstops in with pick 22 and pick 30. That's the only questionable thing. Maybe they're just hedging their bet and hoping one of them plays out. Maybe they can move one to second base. I I don't hate it necessarily. They're taking the best available that they had on their boards. Well, and and we talk about like, you know, drafting for need, which teams aren't supposed to do. And we talk about organizational depth, you know, and all that garbage. They have Cole Young, right? Like, there's already a player in this organization that's kind of locked into the shortstop position. So like they just said, screw it. We're going to take the best player that we feel is there. And Gabriel Gonzalez has been an absolute fire since we highlighted him as organizational depth just uh, probably two weeks ago now. So they have the outfielder paired with J-Rod. Like I I get where they're coming from. They're kind of like, we have this plethora of riches. Like look how many starting pitchers we've developed and we have Emerson Hancock still. So 
they just took um, they took organizational depth, and I get that. I'm just really interested to see with all of the other names that we talked about today from 30 to 60 that we really liked, maybe was there a better fit there? Uh, they, they had a plethora of riches and they chose depth. So we'll be interesting to see how all these picks turn out. You know, we will be following them. We will give you probably numbers as the season wraps for those that sign and hit complex or a ball. Um, I don't expect us to have a lot of data to be able to siphon through, but these will be the names that we'll be following over the next couple of years. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We really hope you enjoyed this draft breakdown, this futures game analysis. Catch us again next week. We will be talking about more organizational depth, probably doing the NL Central. As trade deadline gets closer, we may look at a few names and prospects that might be on the move. But again, thank you as always. We will catch you next time. And for those of you playing in ESPN leagues, all of these first rounders are available, so make sure you go and pick them up while you still can.